Hey everyone, I am really excited about today's show as I have a great guest with me, Ann Kiernan of Kiernan Law, and we're going to discuss the lessons learned from poorly conducted internal investigations. You definitely don't want to miss this one. Welcome to the HR Investigations Podcast, exploring the issues, challenges, strategies, and solutions. Sponsored by RPCHR and hosted by Natalie Ivey, an HR consultant, licensed PI, and author of the best-selling book, How to Conduct Internal Investigations, a Practical Guide for Human Resource Professionals. And now, here's Natalie. Hey, everybody. I am really glad to have you at my podcast today because I've got a special surprise for you. I have a guest with me, Anne Kierden, and Anne is an attorney, and she and I have moved in the same circles for, oh, I don't know, probably 15 years or so, and uh, teaching continuing education programs. And uh, I have asked Anne to join my podcast today so that we can talk a little bit of shop about really what happens when we really have poorly conducted investigations. And she's going to share some of her expertise on really kind of what happens when um, there are some of those legal ramifications. Now, what I'd like to do is uh, turn it over to Anne. Anne, if you can share with our listening audience just a little bit of a brief bio uh, about you, then we'll talk some shop. Hey, thanks, Natalie. Yeah, my name is Anne Kiernan. I'm an attorney in central New Jersey. And uh, my background is I started out as a law clerk in federal court, and my judge had multiple sclerosis. And that really tuned me into the uh, abilities of people with disabilities and got me started in a career in employment law. But after that, I've worked at a firm representing employers, handling all kinds of business litigation, not just employment law, patents, copyrights, trademarks, insurance fraud. And then I was a partner at an employee-oriented law firm. So I've, I've tried to see both sides of these matters, Natalie. As you, I know you know, it's important in internal investigation to remember that even the thinnest piece of paper has two sides, right? <laughs> Very good. So, Anne, let's uh, talk about the perspective um, from legal counsel. What happens when organizations really don't train internal investigators on how to properly work cases? Let's start there, and then we'll delve into some more legal ramifications of that. Well, I'm sure you know, Natalie, the old saying that pre- failing to prepare is preparing to fail, right? You've heard that one? Yeah. <laughs> and and that's exactly the same here. If we set people out to do a job who don't know what they're supposed to do and don't know how to do it, we really shouldn't be surprised when the job doesn't turn out right. Yeah. Yeah. And what I find uh, in my travels and uh, for my listening audience, you know, that I'm a licensed PI and that I've been doing investigations for a long time and that I also provide training for organizations on investigations. And one of the things that I find really tricky is knowing when to conduct one. And these days, um, some organizations are conducting investigations into absolutely everything, even just kind of uh, minor issues like my coworker took the stapler off my desk and didn't put it back. And I'm being subjected to a hostile work environment as a result of that. (laughs) And then we also have, of course, super serious cases. But, um, you know, there's um, a very big difference in launching an investigation and collecting evidence and involving legal counsel and, you know, preparing possibly even to separate an employee because of really egregious misconduct. That's a whole other ballgame than just my coworker didn't put the stapler back. But, um, you know, I find that a lot of um, HR professionals and employee relations, they struggle with knowing when to launch it. So I spend a lot of time with that. Talk about the more serious things that do come up, like allegations of harassment or discrimination. 
What are some of the legal ramifications for employers and when organizations don't handle those types of cases effectively? Well, as you point out, Natalie, not everything is a federal case, right? You know, somebody took my stapler, somebody took my uh, my lunch out of the refrigerator. Those are employee relations matters, and we certainly have to deal with them. But that's a long cry, as you uh, correctly point out, from allegations that could get the organization in serious legal or compliance trouble, you know, like allegations of harassment, discrimination, safety violations. Uh, financial irregularities, theft, you know, those sorts of stuff, which can get the company in legal trouble. You know, I would think those would go to the top of any list in terms of matters that require a, you know, well done professional investigation. Yeah. Yeah. So how about um, maybe negligent investigation? Can you kind of talk about that a little bit where an organization may find themselves on the losing end of a negligence claim? Well, let's start out with the basics. One of the first things you learn in law school is the definition of negligence. It's duty, breach, causation, damage. You have a duty to do something, you breach it, and that breach causes damage. I'm driving a car. I have a duty to keep a safe distance from the car ahead of me. If I breach that duty by tailgating and I rear end them and cause damage, I'm liable. Duty, breach, causation, damage. You know, I'm a surgeon. I need to take out your right kidney. I take out the left kidney. I've breached my duty. I've caused damage. So same here. There's a duty to do this the right way. And if you breach it and cause damage, you're liable. Mm -hmm. So how can you breach that duty? Well, a couple of ways. Failing to investigate at all. You know, ignoring complaints, which can cause liability. You know, that's one problem. Failing to investigate at all. Or uh, having an investigator who's already made up his or her mind about the subject. We know a case, uh, because I also do training on internal investigations, uh, you know of a case where uh, they tell the subject, don't bother explaining. We already know you did it. Well, that's not an investigation. That's already a conclusion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That whole bias thing. That's one of the things that I talked about um, in an earlier podcast episode with why a lot of organizations are moving towards centralized teams. Um, they're really wanting to get away from that HR business partner generalist who has the day-to-day responsibility for payroll and benefits and you know the myriad of other kinds of uh, dis- disciplinary action that may come up because of performance issues. That's uh, really a little murky, um, especially because of the cozy relationship that also exists with those HRBPs. So a lot of the businesses now are starting, especially larger organizations, I'm seeing that centralized team where they're training them and that's all they do. They work cases, they get to their findings, they present the report, and then they go on to work a case another day. And they don't really have that sort of preconceived notion because, um, oh, well, you know, I dealt with Ralph last week in a write-up and, well, you know, I already know that Ralph is guilty. I already know that he did it. You know, that that mindset simply because they may even not particularly care for a particular employee. You know, they, <laughs> you know, have formulated an opinion about them and, uh, you know, and that's that's very dangerous. So. For uh, the listening audience, those of you who are HR business partners or or generalists, this is something that you really need to be thinking about too. If um, you really kind of look at the case from the outside looking in, even though you yourself may be very objective in handling a case, let's say with this guy, Ralph, you may feel like you could do it, but it isn't really about you, right? It's really about the perception of what other people think. And particularly from where a complainant is sitting, if they, you know, if they really think, oh, well, all I have to do is run to HR and I can get Ralph in trouble, you know, or conversely, you can have a complainant who legitimately is bringing forth a claim, 
but maybe you are a little biased because that complainant has made previous allegations, right? And you're, you're just completely not wanting to buy whatever their story is. Okay, that's bias. And so if you find yourself in this situation, uh, this is the time that you really do need to be reaching out to legal counsel, right? And That's right. Yeah. And if it were you, Anne, um, you would probably be recommending a different type of investigator, wouldn't you? Yeah. And, and that doesn't mean there's anything wrong that you've done anything wrong. You can't help being human. You know, if you know somebody, if you've got a relationship with them, if you've had a past bad experience, you can't help that. But what you can do is recognize your bias and excuse yourself. That's the professional thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And get somebody else. Uh, you know, nobody is so unique that they can't be replaced <laughs> by somebody else. And and we've got to remember, the investigation is not just to resolve the internal problem you have. I mean, it's for that, but also for the outside world. If this gets looked at by a court, by an administrative agency, by even a plaintiff's lawyer, and I can tell you as a lawyer, having represented employees, one of the things that will discourage an employee and a lawyer from taking a case is a well-done internal investigation. I've had that presented to me. Uh, somebody came in, they brought the results of the internal investigation. I read it and I said, well, what do you want me to do with this? You know, <laughs> what am I going to, you know, oh, did, do you agree with, oh yeah, I did all these things. Well, what do you want me to do? I'm not a magician. You know, what I did was negotiate a severance package because that was the best, res best result possible uh, in that circumstance. <laughs> oh, terrific. So in, in that situation, did they uh, send over a copy of their report or did they give you somewhat of a summary? No, I had I had a copy. They had written it was a it, actually what it was. It was a it was a final warning letter uh, uh, based on an investigation. So I did have that. And they offered him a severance package. And I said, take the money and run, pal. <laughs> but, the, but that's why the, that's why the client had a copy of it, because it was contained in a final warning, which did outline the uh, the nature of the matters that were the issue. Yeah. Right. So now I'd like to um, shift gears just a little bit. So, and from your perspective and, and having been uh, an attorney for as long as you have and your experience in specifically litigation, can you give uh, our listeners some examples of some employer lessons learned from mishandling, especially in maybe uh, cases of harassment or discrimination? For instance, we had a case that came up just a couple of years ago. There was a bring your child to work day and somebody brought in their 15 year old daughter and a division executive made a number of very sexual remarks to this high school girl, right? And uh, the, the mother of this child complained, and so did two coworkers who went to complain about this, uh, about this. Nothing happened. All of them got fired six weeks later, allegedly for poor performance. Uh -huh. Anyway, there was no investigation. The uh, case was brought claiming retaliation. Well, a jury agreed. Went to a jury trial, half a million dollars in damages, plus almost 200000 in attorney's fees. That tail can wag the dog. And that case was affirmed on appeal. So it's uh, almost three quarters of a million dollars uh, awarded. And don't forget, there's going to be attorney's fees on appeal, too. Uh, so let's say more than a three quarters of a million dollars because nobody investigated. Nobody investigated. Wow. Yep, that's what and these were serious matters, and not just the mother complaining, but two coworkers are also witnesses. So we had two impartial witnesses. Yeah, and that case is uh, twenty seventeen, so this is not exactly ancient history. Yeah, so this is a, a fairly recent case. Yeah, but federal appeals case. Yep, definitely there was um, you know some retaliation. It certainly looks like there. Yep, or the case where a uh, woman complained about having to work with a male coworker at night. This happened in October. She told her supervisor, who did nothing about it, that he said, 
don't tell me. I don't want to know. Uh, he actually said that. Uh, and the federal appeals court said, we do not approve of this ostrich approach, you know, ducking your head in the sand, pretending it doesn't exist. And, and I quote from the opinion, the supervisor's purposeful ignorance will not shield liability. Uh, so in other words, burying your head in sand does not make the problem go away. It makes it worse. Yeah. And this case happened in New York and under New York state law, unlike federal law, under state law, individual supervisors and managers can be personally liable for aiding and abetting harassment, helping them out by not properly uh, turning it over to investigation. So this is an area not only where there can be corporate liability, but even individual liability for supervisors and managers. Yeah, excellent. I'm glad you brought that up. So what are you seeing in terms of like a case you just illustrated? What are you seeing in terms of personal liability, in terms of monetary damages? It's hard to track those because the court, the, the opinion may not separate out who's exactly liable for, for what, but, you know, whether that, you know, uh, the, tech, the New York case I mentioned to you, uh, that came up on a preliminary ruling, whether he actually was found liable, you know, I don't know, but it's certainly a powerful warning saying, you know, saying, don't tell me I don't want to know, ignoring uh, complaints, not following policy. Give you another example. Last year, 2022 in Virginia, a uh, supervisor was told by his assistant, hey, Mr. A and Ms. B are having an affair. And he said, how do you know that? Oh, Ms. B told me. Company policy required that, uh, you know, romantic relationships between supervisors and subordinates be reported, but he didn't report it. Other work workers did, and it got to the CEO, who, who did order an investigation. As part of the investigation, Richard, the original supervisor, got fired for failing to report the affair. His defense was, oh, I didn't think I should just report a rumor. And the court said, uh-uh. Policy clearly said you had an obligation to bring this up so it could be investigated. Uh, termination upheld. Mm -hmm. And that was, in, that was in Virginia, which is a very pro-employee state, unlike New York. So- Let's talk a little bit more about cases involving discrimination today. So what are some of the key things that you are seeing with lessons learned regarding discrimination? And maybe, um, you know, we can look at several different types, whether it's racial or whether it's um, dealing with um, equal pay or religion. These problems are not like fine wine or good cheese. They don't improve with age. They're more like fish. They stink when they've been around the place a while. So when, you know, a good investigation, the gold standard is start within 24 hours. Yeah. Delayed investigations can be painful. Give you a ex recent example of a case out of the Philadelphia area. Woman reported sexual harassment by a coworker, including touching, but nobody investigated. That was in December. In March, she tells another supervisor that Jose, her, the man who had been harassing her, and another co-worker were retaliating. But nothing happened. Instead, she in fact got reprimanded. <laughs> that was in March. In June, she again reports harassment by the same man, and they finally fire him. So this is after six months of harassment. And the court held, that's not it. She's going to get damages because they breached their duty. We talked about duty, breach, causation, damage. Mm -hmm. And the court held they breached their duty to her. When they fail to do a prompt investigation to remedy the past har harassment and ensure appropriate supervision of this guy to make sure he wouldn't do it in the future. So that's a case we talked about duty, breach, causation, damage. There's one right there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we refer to remedies, 
Let's uh, make sure that our listening audience, especially some who may be newer to HR, can you talk about that word remedy a little bit, Anne? And sure. from a legal perspective, what are some best practices for organizations? Well, the idea of, of the law, civil law, is to put the person back where they would have been if the bad things hadn't happened, like putting Humpty Dumpty back together again. So we want to compensate for what they've lost, and that could include things like lost wages, value of stock options in publicly traded companies, medical bills, relocation costs, job search costs, uh, that sort of thing to compensate for a loss, front pay going out towards retirement, back pay for the past. And courts also have the power to do things like issue injunctions, a cease and desist order, requiring changes in policies, requiring hiring, uh, promotion, etc. So courts can be very um, creative in their remedies, requiring training, one of the things that the EEOC, the federal agency, does in every single settlement is require the employer to do training. As you know, Natalie, smart employers do their training so they don't get sued, not as a punishment for after they get sued. Yeah, absolutely. It, to me, I, I call that my uh, my helmet principle. It's kind of like a motorcycle rider. You know, those who continue to ride, you know, and I, I live in uh, the Daytona Beach area, so it's kind of uh, Harley capital of the world. You get people out riding a bike without a helmet on. Well, they go out and they ride the bike, but what happens? Like a friend of mine uh, laid down his fat boy Harley on the uh, Black Canyon Street Phoenix a couple of days before his wedding, I might add, and um, you know, really, really got banged up. John was a guy that never wore a helmet, but after he laid the bike down, what do you think he did? He started wearing the helmet. So what I see as you know, organizations that have been sued, and one of the things we specialize in is uh, providing training to organizations to meet their EEOC consent decrees. You know, unfortunately, one client that I worked with, they got really walloped, and uh, it was sixteen million. It was uh, substantial, and um, you know, they they made some very significant changes, and I'm very proud of the changes that they made, but. Uh, their decree required training for four years in a row with anyone uh, who would be uh, required to conduct an investigation. And they had to learn uh, in the, the training curriculum all of the laws of the EEOC enforces, and they also had to have specific internal investigations training. So when we talk about some of these remedies, um, it's certainly better for you to just be proactive to, to put that type of training in to begin with. Um, and, you know, one of the things I'm noted for saying in the HR community, and you know, there's that best investigation is one you don't have to do. Yeah. And, pl and please call your lawyer before you make the stupid mistake instead of afterwards. We'd appreciate it. It's a lot easier to help you if you call up and say, I want to do this. What do you think? As opposed to I did this, you know, <laughs> so please call us in advance. And, you know, building on what you said, I often make the allegation that what I like to practice is preventive law, like preventive medicine. You know, you, you want to keep your cholesterol low, uh, you know, same with here. Let's let's keep you in good health so you don't have to have a quadruple bypass. You don't have to have a federal litigation. Yeah. So I, that's how I view it is, is a good practice of preventive law. This is why I love you, Anne. <laughs> I, I could talk shop with you all day. All right. So in uh, the last part of the podcast, um, you know, I'd, I'd really like you to share uh, a little bit of uh, your experience with our listening audience. Yeah. Around, um, you know, once an employer has been notified of a lawsuit and and maybe, um, you know, even an employee who's been separated from the company, can you kind of explain that process and a few tips? One thing, Natalie, is, you know, you point out someone who's been separated. In my experience, and I think of my clients, what's even more difficult is 
having an employee who is currently working for you who has brought a claim. That because that creates some incredibly complicated issues of retaliation. So, you know, a litigation with a current employee is much more perilous than litigation with an ex-employee because you still have to deal with them as an employee and you have to make sure you're doing appropriate performance management, et cetera, without it looking retaliatory. So talk about walking a tightrope. Oh, absolutely. As a consultant, I would definitely have weighed in on some of those conversations. Yeah. Let's say when you are in receipt of a lawsuit, so whether it's a current employee or um, a separated employee, what's kind of the... the Sort of step one. Uh, number one, call your lawyer. Number two, call your insurance company. Number one, call your lawyer, let you know, because the most important thing your lawyer can know, do is get you an extension of time. <laughs> That's the first thing any lawyer is going to do getting in is get you more time. So the lawyer has a chance to analyze the situation. So number one, hire a lawyer and get more time. Uh, number two, call your insurance company. Uh, see if you have coverage, because that may dictate what lawyer handles it, how they handle it. If you carry EPLI, Employment Practices Liability Insurance, does your policy cover that? EPLI doesn't cover everything. EPLI probably does not cover wage and hour claims, for instance. It won't cover punitive damage claims, but it may well fund your defense, pay for your lawyers. That would be step number two is call your insurance company. Step number three, put a freeze. Immediately stop all routine destruction of records, et cetera. I just this morning read a case where a, a company got sanctioned because their employee destroyed texts that were supposed to be preserved during a litigation. So please have your put in a freeze order, a litigation hold, stop all regular destruction of records and preserve all the records because having records missed that are uh, you know that are needed is terribly problematic. I have had clients held in contempt in federal court. It's no fun for anybody. And once you've done that, put a freeze on, then if you haven't done an internal investigation already, it's certainly time to start one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's rare that you get a lawsuit where you have had no inkling at all of a problem. That's rare. It can happen, but it's rare. Yeah, I agree. Usually some aspect of performance management is usually what I see. And then that, that tends to uh, tends to spark it. Well, you've seen it, Natalie. People get written up, put on a plan, and all of a sudden... Uh, FMLA workers comp uh, like mushrooms after a spring rain they show up right oh I love it <laughs> in um, our final wrap up so any um, any specific best practices or tips that um, you can share with the group on um, on working with legal counsel please tell us the truth the first time <laughs> uh, it is very you know I understand people always talk about things from their own perspectives and I understand that but to have a client who doesn't tell you the full story makes it much more difficult to represent you. We're here to help. So you've got to tell us the bad parts as well as the good. So please, please tell us the truth so we can help you best. It may not be as bad as you think. Be open with us. The more work you can do as a client, the less we work have to do as a lawyer. So if you will review your documents before we get them, that makes our job easier. You know, so it's to be a teamwork. A good lawyer is your is your teammate. And there should be joint decision making. The lawyer will give you the legal aspects and then you weigh in on your corporate values, your, you know, whatever your business strategy is and try to come to the best solution. So in the best in the best analysis, it's a, it's a good team. Fantastic. As always, Anne, it is. It's always a pleasure. Oh, it's always a delight, Natalie. Oh, great. So I'll tell you what, uh, this has been a really super episode. And uh, I want to thank everybody for joining us today. And I certainly look forward to having you back at another one of our HR Investigations podcasts. See you, everybody. Until next time. 
Thanks for joining us today on the HR Investigations Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, like, and share the show with any colleagues who will benefit from our strategies and solutions. For free bonus resources, simply visit hr-investigations.com. And remember, if you'd like some help with improving your investigative skills, or if your organization is in need of an external investigator to help with the case, please get in touch with us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.